Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love Well hello everybody and welcome to the Binge the Bible Breakdown where we're working through the Bible from Genesis Revelation in six episodes, six weeks. So this is week number two. We're going to be looking at the historical books today, uh, but first we better introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Nathan, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran. And Jeremy Hulquist, intern pastor here. Yeah, and so if you were with us last week, uh, whether you were with us live or went back and watched or listened to the talk we did last week was about the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And so if you miss that, you can go back and either find the videos on Facebook or YouTube, or you can listen to the podcast episode from the week previous where we explored those first five books of the Bible from creation through Moses and uh, some of that then entering into the promised land. And that's where we're going to pick the story up uh, here today. And uh, yeah, any framing we want to do before we jump into what these historical books are? Yeah, I think the important thing to, to kind of note is that um, this is right as the people of God are about to enter in yeah. to the Promised Land. So Joshua kind of kicks us off into the Promised Land. Yeah. Um, so everything kind of begins and starts there, and it covers about a thousand years of history. Um, and we're doing it in 40 minutes or yeah, whatever this perfect. is. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. So if you're overwhelmed or you're having kind of this curiosity about this, this stuff, dive in with us open your bibles jump in see where you are uh the best thing too if you've got questions let us know reach out with a comment or email yeah um we'd love to kind of dig a little deeper with you so we're hoping we're kind of planting seeds that get you excited about uh scripture along the way yeah so like jeremy said i'm going to put this graphic up here these are the historical books of the bible if you have a bible that's a study bible it often divides them up in this way and like you said, they cover about a thousand years of history from right when the people of Israel are entering the promised land to uh, then ultimately they will lose that promised land, lose Jerusalem, and then ultimately come back. And so that's the kind of a thousand years of history, kind of a little bit of family history, this uh, family of Israel history. And these are the books. So we'll be working through some of these uh, books that are uh, listed right down here. Uh, right, It's a pretty, gra- pretty graphic though. Yes, yes, exactly. And so we'll be looking at those, uh, those books kind of one by one. They kind of walk through, a lot of them tell the story of the leadership of Israel. Um, but then with some stories of people who you wouldn't consider traditional leaders, but their family stories are an important part of it. And that's kind of, you know, Jeremy's preaching on Sunday, and he's got it all prepared, ready to go. He's just, right, right? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> but our theme is family matters. And we're thinking about how our own family stories matter and, and shape who we are. 
And that's really what this section of the Bible does. It tells this long and complicated history of the people of God trying to be faithful and sometimes doing really well, sometimes doing really poorly, and God working with them to try to bring about a really good and um, abundant life for the people is really the ultimate goal. Right. I think one of the conversations is where do you see the thread of God's promise? Some of these books are, uh, for lack of a better way to say, they're pretty brutal. Um, And they talk about violence and war and all of these things, but yet there's still this kind of undercurrent of how God works to preserve God's people and how the story kind of carries through. Right. Um, And you'll see it kind of lifted up in some spaces um, along the way. Yeah. Good. Well, so... um... Moses is the kind of main character of Exodus. And that's kind of where we essentially left off last time was Moses dies before entering the promised land, gives a kind of final speech. And so the story in Joshua picks up with Joshua, Mm -hmm. uh, who is essentially kind of an assistant to Moses, you could say, uh, an an army leader. And he takes over as leader after the people as they're entering the promised land. And the book of Joshua kind of tells his stories, the conquests of the people of God, which is a nice way of saying they fought a lot of wars and then killed quite a few people along the way. Um, but also then, you know, dividing land into the, the different tribes of Judah, you know, those 12 tribes that ultimately, you know, come up throughout the Bible too. Mm-hmm. So uh, what else do you want to say about Joshua? Yeah, um, and thinking about the dividing the land amongst the brothers of Joseph, so the tribes. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good way for us to make that connection back to the end of Exodus um, you know the the famous story Joshua fought the battle of Jericho mm-hmm. um, Joshua carries with him kind of this Moses-esque personality uh, yeah. he touches the water and they walk across dry land catch the Moses um, yeah. and so these kind of unique things about how Moses or Joshua is very deeply connected uh, in that mm-hmm. relational element with God um, and so that's yeah. this confidence and this ability to lead God's people forward. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a gruesome book at best. <laughs> um, and there yeah. are a lot of these moments of just this, the violence of kicking people out of the land that God has promised them has kind of juxtaposed with God's promise of saying, these are my people that I want to lead into this place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, a, there's some hardness in this, in this book. Yeah, it really shows where, you know, there's the promise of, of God, here's the promised land, but th- they don't just stroll right in and life is, is all easy. It's, right. it's a complicated, messy, you know, taking of the land, for sure. Right, and I think one of the, the kind of uh, things to think about is where God's people are obedient and faithful mm-hmm. is where their successes and victories come, and where they're not. Um, so this term that's used is sh- uh, Sharon. I think is the correct way to say that. Yeah. Where you go, you con- you conquer a people, and then you take their wealth for yourself. When we do that, it takes away from God saying, this isn't yours, this is the other people's, but the land is yours. Yeah. Um, so there's these kind of interesting things, and that term will actually come up later um, as we move through some of these other books, too. Sure. Anything yeah. else on Joshua you think we really need to... No, no. <laughs> we covered the whole thing. It's perfect. Yep. Yeah, yep. you're getting your two minute synopsis. Here. Yeah, I mean, and that's just it. Of course, with all these books, you could go, you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, um, and we could be here all day. But you probably don't want that. But, right. but you know, it's a it's a book that if you want to read the history of people moving into the promised land and seeing how complicated it is, you can right. see that. Um, and you know, really, ultimately, that's where these next books lead to, where. It, 
focuses more on the on the leadership. And so um, I'm going to put the graphic back up. You see that we have Joshua and then move into the judges. And the judges, when we hear judges, I think we probably often think of like court judges, maybe the Supreme Court or those sort of, you know, legal judges. And in the Bible, that's kind of an element of who the judges were, but it's far from their whole role. They're really more like um, governors or local kind of tribal leaders. And so they were they were essentially unelected positions. And yet it was it was kind of the institute of government that God raised up for the people of Israel to rule themselves through these judges who did help with dispute some, but primarily really helped provide the leadership for, for the people moving forward. Right, and um, a part of their role was also military conquest. Yeah. Uh, they led, you know, the people into battle. They sort of protected the people from outside attackers. Mm-hmm. And so their role is kind of this dual military and leadership. And I think there's yeah. a kind of naturalness to that in this in a sense. Yeah. Um, it's also important to note that judges really come out of the tribes. Yeah. And so they come from within the people rather than the outside leader coming in to kind of help dictate and decide for them. Yeah, and a part of that is it comes after Joshua dies. He's kind of the the last one for a while who's in charge of everyone, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah, then the judges are more localized control versus one big, you know, Moses, then Joshua who are in charge. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a cycle that um, happens in this story that, you know, the people of Israel are, are celebrating the goodness uh, peace and prosperity, this sort of natural place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, if you've got everything you need, eventually you start grumbling, um, complaining, getting frustrated, and um, committing to doing things that just turn away from God. We create other gods in those moments. Um, and so the cycle moves from life is perfect um, to people turning away and worshiping other gods. Um, and then God just says, you're not getting it and allows them to be controlled and dominated. Uh, military leaders don't have success in battle, um, things like that. And people ask for um, deliverance. God, why have you forsaken us? Um, and then it moves into God says, well, okay, so we're going to raise up a leader to kind of get you into this place. Uh, Judges 3 is a great place if you want to see a quick example of the pattern. Um, and that moves really into this kind of circle again. So military leader steps in, takes charge, they have success, people who life is good, and then it goes back around the cycle. And the whole book of Judges is a continuation of that pattern um, until eventually what you see is some of these judges are really great people and some are absolutely terrible people. Yeah. Um, and so Samson, we learn, this is one of those kind of unique moments, um, Samson is incredibly gifted militarily um, we learn about his, you know, dividing the baby kind of. Is that son Samson? No. That's Solomon. Solomon. We're jumping too many stories at once. Yeah. Uh, Samson also has the wisdom um, that comes into the story. But then that plays against uh, mm-hmm. Samson's brutality against the Philistines um, and the story of love and uh, lust and all these things that come into this thing until Samson commits kind of the ultimate atrocity kills a person, divides their body into 12 pieces and sends it to everybody to say, don't you dare do these things against me. And it sets this kind of awful stage of yeah. now God's people are really upset. Isn't the Bible great? Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> full of all kinds of uh, fun little stories like that. Right. 
Yeah, and so, but yeah, and ultimately then it leads to the people kind of turning on the whole judge system, saying, no, we don't want judges. Um, and people of Israel for a long time wanted a king, you know, right. that, that they saw other nations having kings who were doing pretty well and thought, you know, we should have a king. And God in the Bible is really hesitant to give the people a king. He right. like says, you're not going to like this. It's, it's, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But kings have their shortcomings, too, because they're one person. Right. <laughs> and. Um, and there, there's challenges. When a king is really good, life is really good. When a king is not so good, uh, life is also then not good for everyone. And, and that plays itself out for the people and is what ultimately then leads to this kind of next section of, of the Bible, that, you know, First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings really start telling the story of the rise of the kings. Yep. Yeah, I. It's important to know too when we talk about first and seconds in books. Yeah. Like, it, really, what's happening is the scrolls are too short. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, often we we have divided them because of how the scrolls have been uh, translated sure. and read, uh, but they're really one book within each kind of component. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's a kind of fun trivia fact for you. Yeah. 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 Um, and I think there is this. Um, Time, I think we'll come back to the Book of Ruth yeah. further along here. Yep. But um, out of Judges comes this idea of kind of raising up a king who is a just leader mm-hmm. um, with hopes that that's what the final relenting outcome, what God would say, uh, give them what they want. Yeah. Um, and kind of pushes back against it. Sure. Yeah. And it really, um, Samuel, who becomes the, the priest ultimately, who raises up Saul, is disappointed in what the church has become, uh, the temple and the, the tent of meeting, I think is the way that that should go. Yeah. Um, gets upset because it's being defiled and there's all these like ill things happening. Um, and so the backdrop of raising up a king comes because the, the religious leaders are failing. Sure. Um, and so judges are no longer kind of the moral standard. Mm-hmm. Now we've got this kind of different way that we need to, to kind of raise a leader up out of that. Yeah. 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 And so First um, and Second Samuel is named for Samuel, the prophet, who has kind of an interesting story. I don't know if we want to talk much about his story. Essentially, he's, his mom gives him up to the to the priests. Um, and he's raised raised as a in the priestly class essentially then right yeah i think one um connecting point is his mom's name is hannah and hannah's prayer i think is one of those it actually sets the the stage for what comes out of jesus's ministry Hmm. and so you begin to see that um a king would who would flip the world upside down so it would raise the powerless and the poor it would give wealth to the needy um, all of these concepts that uh, ultimately is the hope of Jesus's ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what the kind of messianic promise really becomes is this turning the world upside down. Um, and that's the hope for God's people when we start entering into um, Saul and King David is that the world would be flipped on its head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because the first king that gets anointed and chosen is Saul. Right. He becomes the first king of Israel. And he's perfect. He's great. There's no problems. There's no drama, right? <laughs> the right. end of the story. 
No, it actually starts, I mentioned that, that term of sharing, mm-hmm. which comes out of Joshua, you know, taking what isn't yours. That's uh, mm-hmm. the beginning, the planting the seed of Saul's downfall. Yeah. Um, and that idea of taking what isn't yours mm-hmm. is counter to this promise from Hannah that this is yeah. the king who we want. Um, and then Saul kind of goes off the deep end. Um, and I think it's important to say, if you want to know more about David and Saul, we have a podcast. We did a whole series in the middle of the pandemic stuff about David. Mm-hmm. Um, went into depth way beyond what we can do in that 40-minute window we've got here. Yeah, yeah. We did it. It was a five weeks on, on David, I think, yep. where we went through all these stories of, you know, starting with Saul and then David and getting to Solomon a little bit too. And so this is well covered in that. So go yeah. looking way back to about a year ago, actually. So. Yeah. Um, and the, and it's important to know, like, David comes out of Saul's problems. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a person who God has not seen the physical stature of a man, but the heart of a man. Yeah. Um, and that, that heart is what God begins to sort of roll into power, in power and leadership um, until David yeah. is not perfect either. Right. Yeah. I mean, David starts off pretty great, though, because he, you know kills Goliath which makes him essentially a hero you know from a young age and there's all these characteristics that are great about him he gets married to the king's daughter and so it's it's really set up well but then as Saul gets less and less faithful David is is you know has been anointed that he's gonna be the next king and so there's this you know underlying tension between he and Saul that ultimately becomes not underlying but just straight up tension and and yeah. warring, and and yet uh, David holds off and doesn't try to overthrow Saul. He just essentially kind of waits his turn, and then he does get his turn, and then he is the perfect king and never screws up or does anything wrong. Right? <laughs> That's how the story hey, goes. Until you realize the start of David's kind of thing is killing Saul's son, who has this dispute of um, which king is the rightful one, the son of Saul or David, who had been anointed. Yes, um, it's just. Drama, right? It's the fun part about the scriptures. It is, and and David goes on to write uh, the majority of the Psalms that are in the Bible. That's not in this section of the Bible, but Psalms really, you know, is kind of David's book. That he, so many of these Psalms are attributed to him, and and so he's this beautifully faithful person that's lifted up in the Bible, but then also uh, more than a little imperfect as well and the story of David and Bathsheba being another yeah. one of those uh, that is you know kind of an ultimate you know telling of his imperfection like he um, essentially forces himself you know on this woman and then she gets pregnant and so he ends up you know long story short killing her husband so that he can take her as his own wife and right. um, and that is not great and that'll come back to bite him as we move kind of further into kings um, yeah. one thing that's important yeah. we didn't quite hit on it the division of the kingdoms comes between yeah. Saul's son and David um, and I have to look at my notes because I always get it wrong uh, Israel that name we talked about the Israel people this is the point in the Bible where it's it really confusing and it shifts from a name of a people yeah. to a name of a, a country, um, a space of land. Mm-hmm. Um, so Israel becomes a northern kingdom, um, and which is Saul's son. That's where that family kind of yeah. line falls. And David takes the southern kingdom, which becomes um, Judah. That's <laughs> yeah. Jerusalem. We're not quite there yet. Uh, Judah is where David kind of rules and reigns, and that becomes this division of the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and so the 12 tribes really split into these two kingdoms. Um, who is 
going to be loyal to whom, um, and so we get yeah. this kind of indwelling infighting that happens there. Yeah. And so the end of Second Samuel is, um, if you're reading it, it will feel really confusing because it bounces back and forth between what leader of what kingdom and what they did, and it's kind of got a weird... Yeah. The way it's written is kind of tough to decipher. Mm-hmm. Um, so have a little not, patience with yourself. Yeah, it's not neat and clean, partially because that split of the kingdom was not neat and clean, right. you know. And so it's like you have you know Samuel, and yeah, you have the, these Bible writers trying to tell the story of a split kingdom that they don't want to be split. <laughs> I think is right. is a part of the tension there. That's, right, and trying to say on. where um, Saul divides, mm-hmm. David unites. Yeah. Um, and that becomes kind of this kind of interesting story. Um, yeah. Well, the transition I feel like between Samuel and David, these these books of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, it, it's um, it's still those. We've been kind of blending stories even as we're talking about it because mm-hmm. they both tell the story of the same time. Right. Um, so maybe we should just jump into Kings too, right? We've already kind so. of jumped in essentially. Yeah, um, the, uh, there's really no, like, this is the terrible part of where scripture is. There's really yeah. no good transition in this. Right. Um, and where First and Second Samuel kind of chronicles David's rise and ultimately David's downfall, mm-hmm. um, Solomon then kind of picks up the pieces and jumps right into David's died. And then yeah. we get into this rise of um, King Solomon, um, who is David's son, who then the first act of really kind of leadership is killing his Bathsheba's son. Um, mm-hmm. So this is David's legitimate line and Bathsheba's whatever we're connecting this to. Yeah. Um, and so there's this blood feud between siblings that happens immediately. Um, in order to be king, you can't have two of them. So yeah. here we go. Yeah. Um, David's job is uniting to bring about one central city. Um, that starts to just really dissolve with uh, Solomon's rise to power. And so Solomon says, David wanted to build a temple in honor of God. Solomon says, yes, but mine's going to be better. So mm-hmm. Solomon's temple is, is kind of the, the hub, and it's the central part of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's all these kind of narrative things about uh, Solomon's approach, how grand and austere this whole place will be. Um, and then I'm going to build my house as big as I'm going to build this temple. So there's yeah. these kind of weird parallels that fall in these story. Um, one thing that happens where Solomon has um, this devotion and just absolute desire to please God, yeah. he does it on the backs of people. So he yeah. reintroduces slavery so kings aren't all that great mm-hmm. um, and he builds it off of taxing his people and bringing his people low in order that he may elevate his his power with God yeah um, so we get this really kind of bummer of a dynamic that happens in for God's people yeah. um, and we're kind of left with the brutality of Solomon against God's people mm-hmm is this backdrop that's kind of playing out through through kings. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is then ultimately culminated by the way it ends, right? So it's you know, you start with a split kingdom which is already not great and by the end they're in exile. Right. Did I skip ahead too far? No, you're because <laughs> that's you're where we there. go. You know, um yeah, where 
you know, I think you like in the in our notes here, kind of you know, talk about that the rise of this Assyrian army that's invaded Israel that scatters the Northern Kingdom, and then uh, we get what's called the Babylonian exile because ultimately um, a large portion of the people of Israel are are you know drug out to Bab to Babylon and and end up living in Babylon for quite a while. Some are still in Israel, but some are in, in Babylon. And, and so they're, they're split, not just north and south, but now they're scattered yep. in exile. Yeah, and this comes out of uh, Saul's son, Rehoboam, who, mm-hmm. who has to make a choice as the heir as Solomon's yeah. dying. We forgot this part. Yeah. So it's hard to cover a whole... Yeah, it's a lot. It's thousand a thousand years in one shot. Uh, Rehoboam has to make a decision. Do I follow in my dad's footsteps and be a ruthless king? Um, or do I change the way we do things and, and live a life that honors God, but also yeah. honors God's people? Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, what happens is Rehoboam chooses to follow his dad's footsteps. So family matters. Yeah. It's kind of important. Right. Um, and in doing so, that's when this kind of destruction comes. He becomes unfaithful to God. Um and so there's this just scattering of God's people. Yeah. Um, and then it leads us kind of in this idea of they become enslaved and and taken and destroyed ultimately. I mean, this is kind of mm-hmm. God's people are just hanging by a thread at this point. Yeah. And so, and then we get to the book of Chronicles, which is telling everything we just learned. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, it's just a really big family tree, yeah. <laughs> right? That's a large part of it, the... Everyone who is a part of the family from Adam to David is is laid out, um, and yeah, and it just kind of tells some of the stories of how how did we get here? Who who was here? Yeah, and really, as it's uh, Chronicles gives us kind of a precursor to the next um, three books, which is really thinking about um, these people in Babylon are given kind of a second blessing. We'll cover that in a bit. Yeah, and invited to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild God's temple. So this is a hopefulness that thread that we're talking about um, throughout Scripture here. Yeah. Yeah, so because which book would be best to, to go to next? we want to go chronological? I think maybe it might be best to go to Ezra or to Esther first. I think so, because that's where it makes most sense chronologically. Yeah, so in Second Chronicles 36, um, we get this kind of it's a passing statement really that a a Persian princess ultimately yeah. is the one who fights for the people of Israel so that they may return to their land. Yeah. Esther is the story of that coming to fruition. Um, yeah. And it moves us into this kind of hopeful promise. Um, and so it really becomes this Jewish girl who's kind of floating on the surface, yeah. uh, marries into the right kind of framework sets laws and decrees mm-hmm. with the Persian king and that moves them into uh, being able to go back to their kingdom at some point um, yeah. and so it's really to say uh, when we talked about this thread of faithfulness mm-hmm. that's where it shows up Yeah, is that as God's people are on the fringe and feeling like God has forsaken them um, so again, cycle, circle, yeah. catch that connection. Yeah, um, They are brought back by this one person who steps in and says, hey, by the way, um, my people are supposed to be here. Let's make that a reality. Right. And so with the king of Persia, she has this relationship and sets that in motion. Yeah. And I mean, I think that is one of the fun things that throughout these, like there are big sections of this historical 
section of scripture that is hard to read. Hard to read because it's all this violence and it's confusion. Like, is God supporting this violence? Is God against this violence? Like, and some parts are just really boring. Just a bunch of long names. Like, if you read, try to read Chronicles, it's yep. like name after name that is like almost impossible to pronounce. You know, and, and not terribly interesting. And yet also buried in this section of scripture are all these stories of really interesting complex people um david is you know there's story after story of david's triumphs and failures and you know and then like yeah the story of esther you know super interesting story and not the whole book isn't like it's not written like a novel you know so it's a little harder to read but it is it tells the story of this yeah it's this kind of Un, unsuspecting Jewish girl who becomes the you know the queen of Persia. I mean that's a wild princess story, you know, right. and um, and leads to then ultimately making it possible for them to come back into the into Jerusalem into the Promised Land, which Ezra has has a pretty big big role in that, and that's that's probably the next place to go, yeah. right? Yeah, um, because Ezra is essentially a, a, a leader. He's a prophet and a priest who helps in the return from. Babylon and and to to found this Jewish community, really, um, you know, in the Promised Land, but on the basis of Torah, like they're going to go back to the basics. Like we've got to be faithful, you know. It's the unfaithfulness that led to this exile, so we got to be faithful. And so that is, he's an interesting leader in that he is this kind of prophet and priest. He's not a king, you, right. you know, and and yet is a really powerful leader for the people. Right. So holiness leads back to kingdom building. Yeah. So there's the difference between what we see, the destruction of yeah. kings moves. It takes that shift again. Um, so every time that we find our faithfulness and holiness, we ultimately find where God shows up. Um, and that's just kind of getting back to that cycle. Um, Ezra is a great example of that. So there's three trips back to Jerusalem. Uh, first and second one are with Ezra. Uh, the third one we'll discover is with Nehemiah in a few minutes. Um, and... Ezra really kind of tells that story of, of rebuilding the temple, but it is also laid with a bunch of really beautiful um, prayers. Yeah. And so how those come to life um, for God's people, it's the prayers of dedication. It's the prayers of, mm-hmm. you know, God, you didn't forsake us and abandon us. I mean, there's some beautiful language, um, poetic language within that that are um, yeah. wonderful to read. And that's when we get to the the prophets, which is actually a couple episodes down the road. Um, the prophets, there's a lot of prophetic witness from this time, the time of the exile and the return. And so we'll, we'll be talking about this Babylonian exile again when we get to the prophets because it's so baked into some of the prophetic writings. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this return is, is historic for the, for the people of Israel and, and a big part of the biblical story. To be able to return to Jerusalem, like you said, first with Ezra and then with Nehemiah, is is really key because they start then rebuilding the temple and and that's uh the focal point of jewish worship and life right and it's that that promise of returning to the land that god has promised Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of fun yeah uh, to say this is despite our exile despite our our lack of faith that god still shows up and still holds that promise for us yeah um i think is this kind of beautiful uh telling um, Ezra 9 9, if you want to open your Bible, is a fantastic example, both of telling the Persia story um, as well as really kind of leaning into that hopefulness. Yeah. 
Yeah, I want to just highlight this last note. I think this, these are your words. It's, uh, you typed them anyway. Yeah. For the, it's going to be in the bulletin uh, this Sunday. But I think the last line here, partnering with Ezra, Nehemiah worked towards rebuilding the spiritual awakening as well as the political and religious future of the people of God. Yeah. I mean, that's really what's happening. I, that's a great summary of that. It's In the Bible here, it's it's political, but it's also religious. And, and it wasn't just you know a religious awakening either in the fact that like, oh, we got to build our, our structure, our, our meeting place. It was the spiritual awakening that was that was key to the people realizing that it was that that their faithfulness and the way they lived out as the people of God and the way they followed God's commands was directly tied to their success as a people <laughs> and as a nation. Right. That and it was all really connected. And it's holding in conversation and partnership with God's promise. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of our being faithful to one another and living in community is really thinking about this in terms of a, a bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Um, that it's a mutual conversation, not an exclusive God ordains. Um, right. And thinking about how that all plays together. Right. Yeah. Well, the one that we skipped in our process was Ruth. Anything before we jump back to Ruth? Because I think Ruth is a great place to wrap up. Yeah, I think if you want to highlight Nehemiah for 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Nehemiah being a just a general guy off the mm-hmm. street. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things. Yeah. Nehemiah is kind of the quintessential book of leadership for people. Sure. Um, because he does everything counter to what you think religiously or structurally, politically would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, no, everybody has a part in building their part of the wall in order to both keep us safe, yeah. but also as part of our mission together as a people of God. Yeah. Um, and I love this um, this sense of you own your part, you do your part, and yeah. we all become successful. Right. Um, and I think that's that kind of faithfulness thread that carries through. Um, yeah. Because that's you know it just gets at that the the rebuilding of Jerusalem it was about rebuilding the temple this place of worship but it was also like they needed a wall because that's how cities worked in that time right, right. you know like they needed to um, they kept getting sacked by you know different invading armies and until they built the wall which one person couldn't do it like they all needed to pitch in to make it happen right they all had to have some part in that. Um... And so Nehemiah is just kind of a cool book if you're thinking about leadership or you're in a leadership role. There's still connecting points between what we do now and what happened in this moment. Yeah. Um, for just the everyday guy, this is a pretty pretty beautiful part of, of what it means to lead God's yeah. people. Um, and to lead them faithfully. Yeah. And so Ruth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think Ruth is a fun, you know, fun place to wrap up, too, because I think it is... Um, connected to, to to life today for example i the wedding i did last month the scripture reading that was read from the book of ruth uh because it it highlights just a beautiful relationship and as we think about moving towards sunday where we you know think about these historical tellings of this historical family tree essentially that mm-hmm. shows up in chronicles and this family history that's all throughout these historical books of the people of israel uh you know ruth is a is a story of ultimately about relationships the book of ruth tells the story of ruth this moabite woman who marries an israelite man but then her husband dies and also her father-in-law dies and so pretty pretty tragic and so that leaves ruth and her now uh, widowed mother-in-law naomi to kind of fend for themselves and you know to be a widow in that time you know this is not an easy thing 
and and you know it's a beautiful story relationship because what I love about it is that ultimately Ruth isn't really responsible for Naomi right I mean like her husband is dead uh, her father-in-law is dead like they you know they, she didn't have to necessarily take care of her, take care of her and yet and yet she does and the verses that were read at this wedding that I did are these verses when Ruth you know pledges that you know what she's going to stick with Naomi with which means becoming um, a part of Naomi's family tree you know not this Moabite family tree only but like also then the the people of Israel which ties it into the whole kind of story so I'm just gonna read those couple verses yeah because I think it's beautiful so um, Ruth says to uh, says to Naomi do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. <laughs> because Naomi had been trying to talk her into not coming with, to not sticking with her, like take care of yourself. And uh, Ruth says, no, we're going to be in this together. Right, and it comes out of both the fear of death, mm-hmm. you know, that the famine in the land is a reality they were yeah. facing. Um, and yet, this idea of I'm going to stick with you despite mm-hmm. what could be our end. Yeah. Um, and, and yet we're still filled with this kind of hopeful promise. Yeah. God still shows up and God's still there for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a a wonderful book of even um, again on the brink of disaster. Yeah. That that the faithfulness of God appears. Um, and Ruth will play a very important part kind of thinking about the lineage moving forward. Yeah. Um, and so the line of David, thinking even through to Jesus' mm-hmm. birth. Um, yeah. That she's a great grandmother, grandmother of David. Yep, great grandmother. Yeah, so there's this immediate kind of uh, family connection to the rest of the story. Yeah, uh, a great grandmother of David who is not a, a part of the people of Israel, you know, right. and that's that's a part of that that David story too. You know, so much of the Bible is about who's in and who's out, and there's these great stories of of the lines being blurred, right. <laughs> you know, that 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 show that in God's story there aren't outs. So. Taylor sings a beautiful song. There are no outsiders. Yeah, uh, which is another a way for us to connect. But yeah, Taylor, come sing. I know, right? No, he's we, not here. We need Taylor at these moments. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. It's a fun way to think about scripture: is this uh, continual promise being lived out? Um, and sometimes it feels dark and dim, and people have issues in relationships. Um, but the thread of hope is that God is still in that. Yeah, um, and I think that's one of those kind of continual things we get to explore as we dive deeper into what is scripture meaning and what are these things yep. how does this apply to me today yeah exactly and so that's a thousand years of the historical books of the bible in 38 <laughs> minutes uh not too shabby and so uh thanks for hanging out with us this morning and and being a part of this or watching it later listening to it later just know that uh we'd love to have you join us on sunday morning too where we'll again retouch on some of this history of the historical books but then also look at okay well so what right like so what does that mean for us like how do how does this historical biblical tradition shape who we are as people of faith but also how do our own family stories shape 
who we are as people. Uh, you know, our theme is family matters, and and I think that's really a you know a key through this uh, through this this section of the Bible that we read. It's all about how much family matters. Right. Uh, but that's true for us too. So right, and I think even thinking about our own. It's very messy in our own systems. Yeah. And so we have good and we have bad, and life is great and life is not, and, and God is still there. Right. If you think your family's messier than any in the Bible, I I don't know. I, there's some pretty messy examples in the Bible. So uh, yeah. that that is life, and, and God is here and faithful through it. So that's good. Awesome. Good. So join us on Sunday. Thanks for being here, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.